Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. All right, well, we're starting our new challenge today on delighting in God. And uh, we're going to hear from Sue this morning. So why don't you put your hands together for her? Thank you. Great to have Peter here this morning. It's really inspiring. Thanks, Peter. I have to get you back sometime. And yes, Dancing with the Staff, the girl said it's going to be a night to remember, and I can promise you, you will never forget it. Paul and I are really worried about that. <laughs> Paul says, a sacrifice he's making for the benefit of the young adult ministry. And I'm with him on that, yes. We will humiliate ourselves for the sake of the young adults. Six staff members are going to be dead. The whole idea is that a young adult partners with a staff member and a young adult is a choreographer. So I've been given a partner and a choreographer. And uh, we were here yesterday trying to get me to remember my routine. So uh, we'll get there. So you need to register for that. And we are basically seeing the next stage of development for amazing young adults that I believe everyone needs to be part of. And I I think that as the church gets bigger and bigger, it's incredibly important that people of um, all demographics partner with our young adults. And one of the key things when Rachel, who's our young adults pastor, did a survey, one of the key things that young adults want is to be mentored by someone who's older than them. And sometimes we think that they're not interested in someone who's older than them. They're desperate to know people who are older than them who would mentor them. And sometimes you can remove yourself. So don't do that. Come and partner with these amazing young people and set them up for the future. Like Peter mentioned before, he didn't have a mentor, no one to tell him what you know what you could do in some simple little things. Like you said earlier, can I pray for my business? And you think, oh, of course you can. Someone needs to give you permission. And here we sit here with a lot of resources, wealth from our life that we can share with someone else. So today we're starting this new challenge called Delight in God. So we're going through our core value, our key values for our church, core values, and we have 10 of them. We're up to this one about delighting in God. We're going to spend a month on this. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, which gives us the secrets to abundant life. And I pray, Lord, that as we listen this morning to your Holy Spirit and to your word, that you'll speak to the deep recesses of every heart and soul and mind here. You'll speak to us and remind us of who you are, the plans that you have for us, and how we can engage with you in ways that uh, bring eternal blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start off with Psalm 37. I love this psalm. You have verses that just you just love. This is one of them for me. Psalm 37, starting at verse 3, says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. So this verse, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I believe what what you find in the word when you look at that is um, not, not so much a law that you have to follow or you fail, but a secret or a key 
When I say a secret, it doesn't mean that it's something that you're not allowed to know. It's something that you have to draw out. And there's something powerful about the secrets or the keys, Jesus calls it the keys to the kingdom, is that it's something that you are given permission to unlock and start exploring. And I believe this whole idea of delighting in the Lord is not just something you will get like that. It's something that you unlock and you start exploring in your life. And so today all I'm going to do is give you some tools that I believe then the Holy Spirit takes you on a journey to unpack what this really means and to put it into practice and you will put it into practice and then you'll fail and then you'll learn again you'll fail again you'll learn again and you'll keep going up like this because what's happening in your fail is uh, transformation starts to happen as you pull yourself up again and start to put it into practice again you'll find that God stays true to his promises if you keep doing what these secrets that he's telling you to do. So to hang on to this verse, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We're going to unpack this in a few ways. Firstly, to look at the meaning of delight and heart. Delight means to be soft, pliable and luxurious. So to delight in the Lord means to be soft towards God and pliable towards God. Firstly, and luxurious, I'll come to in a moment, but soft and pliable towards God. You can actually have a hard heart towards God as well as to other people. You can have a hard heart when um, you feel that God has let you down or forgotten you. Has anyone ever felt like that? God let me down and God forgot me. And so your heart goes a little hard towards him. And sometimes even those who are a follower of Jesus can have this cynicism come into their heart where you'll feel like someone said, well, you know, I did this. Well, I tried that and it didn't work. And you realise you've got a little bit of a hardness coming to your heart towards God. You have to be aware of those. You have this a delight in God means this soft, pliable nature towards God, and it's luxurious. So what does that actually mean? Well, I read a story about in the early 80s, 1980s, there was a plane that crashed in Washington, D.C., and it landed in the river, and people were clamouring out of the plane. A rescue helicopter was sent in, and there was a news helicopter that went in. It was filming what was happening, and the rescue helicopter let down a rope, and a man went and um, got the rope, and he gave it to someone else and, and clipped them on, and they were rescued And then he did it again and again and again, and he drowned. And people said, why didn't he save himself? And the answer is his intention was not to save himself, it was to save others. Jesus calls it the greatest act of love, is to lay down your life for someone else. And that's what that man did. And people looked at that in amazement and still write about it today. And when we come to Jesus, you know, what that man did, which was so extraordinary, is he rescued all these people from drowning. The river was It was covered with ice, so it was freezing water. He rescued them. He saved them. His intention was to save. But what he couldn't save them from was um, the trauma of being in a plane crash that landed in a frozen river. He couldn't save them from the whatever they were going through before the plane crashed and whatever they were going to go through afterwards. He could save them from, from death. But we come to Jesus who saves us, whose intention is to save us at his own expense, not just from death, but from everything that would pull you down to destroy you, absolutely everything. You think of anything that's pulling you down, any fear, worry, anger, bitterness, whatever it is in your life, he came to rescue you from it and he has the ability to do that. That's how you can be luxurious. That's how you can sit back and just meditate on that. 
And see, the people who were rescued were unable to save themselves. There was no hope for them apart from this one man. And it's the same for you. You can luxuriate in this knowledge of the love of God that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself from some of the things that are destroying you deep in your heart and your soul. There is nothing you can do. Only he can do it. So that's, um, that's delight. It's more than just saying, whoa. It's really meditating on the love of God. Secondly, heart. And so this word that's used, the, the word heart is, comes from a Greek word that is for the heart, the feelings, the will, the intellect, or the center. So it's talking about the very center of your being. And in, in fact, it's talking about the very essence of who you are. So sometimes when we um, have a look at this verse, and you can even feel cynical about this because it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And you can think, never worked for me. I've followed Jesus for ages and this happened and this happened. I don't have the desires of my heart. So what we have to understand is what this really means because this is a principle that you will find right through the scriptures. For instance, um, Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, all these other things that you feel that you need, clothes and food and all your provision, will actually be given to you as well. But you've got to do this first thing first. Seek first his kingdom. You need to delight in the Lord. If you don't know what this means, you can you can kind of miss out on it, and you you think it's just about getting getting things. I, I've shared this story with some of you before, but when I was in year seven and eight at high school, I went through a really bad friendship time, well, particularly about, about year eight, when everyone starts to change. Well, girls do at that point definitely, and I was I was treated really badly by my friends, really bullied by my friends, and I would pray, God, please make them like me. I really want to go to school and have friends, and because I was a shy girl. If you remember the school playground or if you're a youth here, I think most of our youth aren't here because they're going to be here this afternoon. You have these little groups and like trying to move from one group to another is like trying to migrate to another country. Just to pick up your school bag and walk across the playground. It's not an easy thing to do. So I'd pray make them like me. Those girls were heading on a not, not good trajectory for life, but I just wanted to fit in without compromising who I was. And um, they caused a lot of hurt. And, you know, eventually God restored me. And then my own daughter hit that age and some of her friends, not like I'd gone through, but some of them started to be mean. And I felt fear and panic hit my heart for her as I'm praying for her. I'm praying in fear. And I was driving along to pick her up from school one day, listening to a podcast of a message. I can't remember what what the message was, but at the end he asked, is there anything in your past that you need healing from? And I thought, no, I think I'm fine. And then he says, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, I think I'm fine. And uh, God wants to remind you of something. I thought, okay. So just ask God to remind you. So I said, God, is there anything? And this came to my mind. And I knew that God had um, healed me from it. But I said, God, I still can't understand why you let me be rejected. And as clearly as anything, I heard God say, you weren't rejected, you were protected. If I'd answered that prayer, that would not have been good for you. You were protected. And so I suddenly saw it from a different... I was praying for God to do something because I felt like this is the desire of my heart, to be liked by these girls. And God is saying, no, no, that's not the desire of your heart. The desire of your heart is to be loved and valued. That's what it is. And you're not going to get it through those girls. You're going to get through something far more profound. So sometimes you can be praying for something and God doesn't give it to you because there's something far deeper than that that you need. And I, I, th- I 
promise you that if you look at everything that you're praying for that God hasn't answered, he will reveal to you a deeper need. If you just ask him, what's the deepest need that I have here, God? You'll find that there's something deeper that only he can provide and you'll actually be asking him to fill it through some external source and he wants to fill it from the depth of your being. And that's why this is a key that you unpack through life, a secret key that you unpack through life, not just a law that you follow. It's not just a rational thing that you can do. It's a deep Holy Spirit work that transforms you and brings you everlasting joy. Because what he's talking about is your soul. And as you reflect on the soul, Jesus came to save your soul. And and sometimes we, when we think of soul, we think of some sort of weird little esoterical little thing. It's actually you. It's actually the essence of who you are. You know, you, you may grow older, you may change, you can do a whole lot of things. You can lose a limb and your soul is still the same. Your body may change, but your soul is still the same. It is you and it grows and transforms through life for better or for worse. Sometimes it becomes healthy and sometimes it becomes unhealthy. And that's what Jesus came to rescue. There's so many verses in the scripture about the soul. Here are just a few. Jesus said this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know, you can demand these things in life and you can get a whole lot of things that you really, really wanted, but inside you are a dry, shriveled up, bitter person. And as you see in life, just growing older doesn't necessarily mean growing nicer. A lot of people as we grow older become bitter and hard and miserable. So growing old is not the, the key, it's, uh, it's having a refreshed soul. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So transformation in your life on the outside starts on the inner. We always think that if I could get these things on the outside happening, then I'll be changed within. That means that your change within is totally dependent on everything without, which means that when things around you change, you go down again. And God wants to change it around so that the strength is within, so that as things change in life around you, your inner strength stays strong and secure. He restores my soul. So your soul can be depleted. It can be tired. It can be worn out. It says in the Psalms it can thirst. It can be tired. It can be exhausted. It can be sad. But God can restore it. You can bless the Lord with your soul. It says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within in me. Bless his holy name. The other thing that verse tells you is that you can tell your soul what to do. You can say, soul, you will bless the Lord. There are times when you have to do that, when your soul doesn't want to. And it, it's really, I'm not sure, Peter, if you were speaking in this one or the other one about speaking prophetically. I think it was in the first one. You need to speak prophetically over yourself sometimes. Sometimes you'll find yourself speaking negatively over yourself. You need to take the word of God and you need to speak prophetically over yourself. Your soul has the ability to bless the Lord. Your soul needs to bless the Lord. And so sometimes you say, my soul, you will bless the Lord. You will bless the Lord. You are saved and redeemed through Jesus. You can do this. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Speak that over yourself. Your inner soul is being renewed day by day. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Your soul can be cast down. Your soul can be in turmoil. When you feel in turmoil, that's your soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Your soul can be revived. So take some time this week and go through verses about your soul and you'll find how intentional God is on you having a thriving soul. Now we're going to practice. We're going to look at how do you practice delighting in the Lord and seeing the desires of your heart come through. And today I want to talk about um, dying. 
So I was talking to Josh, my son, yesterday because he's speaking next week in the evening and he said, um, so how are you talking about delighting in the Lord today? So I'm talking about dying. Does that sound weird? And he said, no, it sounds interesting. <laughs> so how, how does that, and the reason I'm talking about like is like this, Matthew 26, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's Jesus' soul. Never feel condemned if your soul is in trouble. It's like soul is in turmoil and trouble. Don't feel condemned by it. Jesus' soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It's what you do when you get that. So don't condemn yourself. If you're in turmoil, trial, sorrow, pain, sometimes we feel like we've got to pretend that we're always joyful. And sometimes we are not joyful. I mean, we just saw two courses coming up, one for grief and one for divorce. And it's hard to wake up on a morning after you've been, lost someone or been divorced and just say, I'm happy, because you're not. Your soul is in, in trouble, and Jesus' soul is in trouble here. We need to know that he too had a soul that was in sorrow to the point of death. And what did he do with it? When you look through the Psalms, you see King David being honest about the state of his soul. It's not about saying that I've failed because my soul is in trouble. This is life. In life, your soul will go through a lot of ups and downs. But what you do with it is what makes all the difference. So he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he prayed with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So why am I talking about dying? Recently, Graham and I went for a walk Burwood Lookout. It's going to be up to the Burwood Lookout and down to Burwood Beach and it takes you along to Glenrock. It's just magnificent. You just walk up, you go up to Hickson Street if you've been there, Merriweather Heights, and you walk to this lookout and you see this magnificent view. We went walking there and uh, that particular day two of our kids were with friends up at Barrington Tops and our son and daughter-in-law were up at Boat Harbour and we're walking along looking at this amazing beach and I said, how extraordinary that we get to live here. And look at God's amazing creation. And I thought of Caleb and Phoebe up in the rainforest. I love rainforest. And I thought, how beautiful that they get to drive there in that short space of time. I thought of Josh and Ever and their kids up at Boat Harbour and how beautiful Port Stephens is. And I said, we are so blessed. God is so amazing. How easy to delight in the Lord on a day like that. Simple. All of us can do that. Even atheists start to think there's a God on a day like that because they see how beautiful things are. But what about on the day when your soul is overwhelmed to the point of death? That's what we're going to talk about how to die well because the secret is actually how to die well, not how to rejoice when everything is naturally beautiful, but how to delight in the Lord when things are not easy. Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he was talking about the key struggle that we go through, the battle between our spirit and our flesh. It's part of us that just wants to give up. Even when we want to, you know, it's like if you want to exercise, you know, and you wake up and it's cold and rainy, you know, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is saying, do not do it. And you've got to decide what to do. And just like your soul can say, my soul, you will bless the Lord, you, you have to decide what to do. You've been given free will and you can actually decide what to do. And it is, doesn't mean it's easy, but it is possible. But Jesus went through this dying process and hung on the cross, humiliated, spat on, tortured, naked, unjustly accused of a whole lot of things and surrendered himself to God and was raised from the dead and beat the power of sin and death and was absolutely, a tra literally, a transformed person. New body, could walk through a wall, 
could still eat, could still perform miracles, and absolutely full of joy. And just his presence, it says um, in Luke 24 about on the road to Emmaus, which is just after Jesus had been raised from the dead, he's walking along and talking to these two men who don't realise at first it's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And when they do, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us at the road and opened the scriptures to us? What had happened was so powerful in Jesus that just being with him brought joy to them. And Jesus is doing the same in each one of us. It's not just about you. It's about what he's going to do in you, what he is doing in you and currently doing in you and will continue to do for the future. We'll bless others just by being in your presence. You know those people that you just love to be with because you know they're so full of the Lord, you're just happy to be in their house or go out with them or have them to your house because you just feel better just because they're there. Barry Rice, he died not so long ago. Graham and I went to visit him in the hospital when he was sick and when we left we said, we thought we were going to encourage Barry, but we came out encouraged by Barry. And Barry was telling us about all the doctors and nurses that he was sharing his faith with, he was blessing and encouraging Someone who's so full of the presence of Jesus that just being there makes you feel better about yourself and life. That's the sort of person God wants you to be. It's not just about you having the desires of your heart, but it's about you being transformed so that whoever you're with, people feel better about life. They feel more hopeful. They feel more loved. They feel more valued. They believe that there is a God who is actually there for them because they see what he's doing in you and through you. That's the sort of person that you are called to be. And that's why learning to go through this is really important because Jesus' dying process was the thing that brought him the ultimate victory. And I believe learning to delight in God is a dying process. It's a process of letting go of everything that you hang on to and trusting only in Jesus. So there's three things I want to tell you really quickly to help you to delight in God that you can put in practice this year, this week, or this year as well, if you like. Firstly, An acronym I learnt when I was in youth for faith, forsaking all, I trust him. So when Jesus came to die, he trusted in no one else. You know, even his disciples, he said, come and pray with me, and they fell asleep. And I realised that as you grow older in life, you just have to keep letting things go. You have children and they grow up. You have parents and they pass. All these people, all these things that are so precious to you in life that you really need, you actually have to let them go. And Jesus' dying process is that, letting everything go and trusting in no one else. Everything, all his eggs are in one basket, totally in one basket. He has God to rely on, God the Father to rely on, to raise him from the dead, and there's no other way out of it. Because once he's dead, he can't raise himself. And when he hangs on the cross, even his hands and his feet are nailed so he can't use them. And they say, if you're the son of God, you know, get down from the cross. But no, he trusts totally in the God, in the love of God. And when it comes to delighting in the Lord, you'll find that turmoil within you will reveal to you maybe where you don't trust totally in the love of God. I find that all the time in my life. Whereas I thought I'd, I thought I trusted in the love of God and then I realised I'm really afraid, I'm really worried, I'm really upset, or I'm really this or that or that. And I realised I don't trust totally in the love of God. Therefore, I'm not totally relying on the love of God. Secondly, you are part of a wonderful story. Your life is not just random. And sometimes when you're crying out to God in life, it's like you're trying to tell God, look at, where I'm, look at what's happening to me. Have you forgotten? 
And you could think of Jesus that way. Like, I came down to earth. I've been healing people, feeding people, caring for people, raising from the dead, and now here I am. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And you could think, hang on, did God forget something here? This is his own son. And sometimes I feel like that, and you probably do as well. You feel like, I think God has forgotten me. I've many times in my life where I feel God has forgotten me. Some people would look looked at Jesus that day and thought, well, this is your own fault. And that's how they accused him. This is your own fault. You shouldn't have gone around pretending you were the son of God. You got yourself into this trouble. Sometimes people might say that to you. Sometimes you might say that to yourself. And what you have to realize is that you're part of a bigger story that God has redeemed. And when you put yourself into his hands, you're part of his bigger story that he has redeemed. And there are promises like in Romans 8, 28, this says God works all things together for good for those who love him, all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, all things, all things. So you, you can't find a thing that he says, sorry, not that one. That in most things, 99% of things, but not that one. This one is too hard. No, there is nothing that is too hard. For him to redeem. And also says in Romans 8, a little bit before that, that what you suffer now will be nothing compared to the glory that is coming. So you can hang on to the fact that you have this big this story and your story is incredibly important because your story, you've given your life to him. That's why it's saying those who are called according to his purpose. This is a, this is a key thing for this. It's not everyone, and that's not because God is punishing them, but you either choose to go God's way or your way. So if you chose to go your way, you're saying to God, I'll do it my way, so I don't want you to take it. But if you're saying, I choose to go your way, he says, right, you've now become part of my redemptive story, so I will work everything together for good because you gave it to me. If you're hanging on to it and saying, I'm not giving it to you, then he won't intrude. But if you say, here it is, I trust you, he will take it and he will make it part of his redemptive story. It says in um, Psalm 139, 16, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, you are not a random person on the earth. You have days ordained for you. You have a story that can be part of his story if you give your life to him and he will redeem every step of the way. He will wipe away your sins, turn things around in ways that you could never expect, even use your failures for something good, even use your sorrows for something good. He can take everything and he can redeem it. And thirdly, it's who you know and what you know. Jesus knew certain th- knew God and knew his character and his nature, which enabled him to go through this, to die well, and he knew Something else, which I'll come to in a moment. So firstly, he knew the love of God. He was well acquainted with the love of God. Therefore, even though he came to this point of sorrow, to the point of death, he knew the love of God so much that he kept moving ahead. He kept going through the dying process. And it's what he knew. Now, what he knew is really interesting. I was thinking about this the other day, thinking about Jesus. And uh, this verse came to mind, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And what I realized was this, that Jesus came in to the world knowing that he was part of a big story. He came in with point one, he knew God and he could trust him. Point two, he knew he was part of a bigger story. And point three, when he came in, he knew that it was going to be tough, 
but he knew there was something extraordinary happening at the end. And I thought, in a way, this is unfair because uh, I don't know the extraordinary thing that's going to happen in the end. But Jesus did. And so this is unfair because he came. This is why he could sit there and say, yes, I'm going to go through this crucifixion and this death because there's a resurrection coming. It's going to be good. And what's more, through that resurrection, every person on the earth who puts their faith and trust in him can be saved. Wow, that's amazing. And you think, well, hang on, I've got this massive wall in front of me and I can't see what's on the other side. But this is why it's saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to him. Because for the joy set before him, he was able to endure the cross and scorn the shame. And he's saying the same to you. Trust me in my love because there is a joy coming for you. And if you will constantly just keep handing it over to God and delighting in his love for you, luxuriate in his love for you, have a soft heart with God, just surrender it all to him and die to yourself, you'll see him come through in ways that you could never have imagined. And when it happens, you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to say, that had nothing to do with me. Rick Warren actually said in, in one of his books, sometimes we think if um, we're really nice to people, they'll want to come to know Jesus. And he said, you're not that nice. You're not so nice that people are going to fall on their knees and say, oh my goodness, I met you and now I want to know God for the rest of my life. We kind of overestimate our ability to do anything. And sometimes I feel God saying, if you, know, if, if you, if you have all the keys, when the breakthrough or the answer of your life comes through, you'll say, you'll create a formula. You'll say, I did this, everyone follow me. But when you see ultimate miracles come like Jesus' resurrection from the dead... You can say with all your heart, it had nothing to do with me. All I did was trust in the God who loves me, nothing more. And despite my sin and shame and brokenness, he loves me and redeems me. And all glory goes to him and none to us. And that's the power of delighting in God. When you delight in him, he gives you the desires of your heart. And truly the desires of your heart are incredibly deep. They're to be loved and valued, to have meaning and purpose. To be part of his kingdom is a huge desire of your heart. To be able to use who you are to see his kingdom build. There's so many desires in your heart which are so deeper than you will ever understand really until you reach eternity. Then you'll see the depth of your heart, the amazing creativity that went into creating you. You're so deep and you're so rich you can't even understand yourself. But God does. And that's why he says, come and delight in me. Delight in my love and I will fill the deepest needs of your soul. So Psalm 37 verse 4 again, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So deep you don't understand them, but take delight in the Lord and he will give them to you. You know, to do that, how do you look at Jesus? Sometimes you can look at a whole lot of things around you instead of meditating on the powerful love of God. So there's a few things I've got here. This is just a snapshot of the character of God. He's kind and compassionate. He's giving and faithful. He is merciful and strong. He's forgiving. He's good, righteous and caring. He's sovereign and shepherd, ever-present, refuge, gracious, healer, powerful. One who saves, helper, and the one who makes all things new. That's amazing. He makes all things new. You can bring any worn-out thing to him, including yourself, and he can make it new. Let's look at those things for a moment. And consider what aspect of him you need to know today. You really need to know that maybe your heart is a little bit hard towards. Maybe he doesn't feel like a shepherd to you or ever present. 
Maybe he doesn't feel merciful to you or kind. What is it as you look at the list that you think, this is the aspect of my Heavenly Father that I need to delight in today, that I need to say to my soul, my soul, you will bless the Lord. My soul, you will know that God is powerful, healer, the one who makes all things new. You will know this. I will meditate on this. So I just want to put a couple of questions up on the screen. The, um, the worship team's going to come up again. And you can't sing, but you can meditate as they sing this beautiful song. And ask yourself these questions. What do I love or delight about in, in God? And for some, today, some, sometimes when life is hard, you make up an answer to be right, to, like to see you look good. Be really honest. And ask God to show you what is the thing that you need to delight in today. Or maybe you have an abundant list of things and you just need to meditate on all of them today. And secondly, what's something you could do this week to delight in God? So what does that actually mean? So you might find that as things come up during the week, you give yourself like a, a warning sign. Okay, so this week I felt myself getting angry. What will I do to turn that around and delight in God? This week I felt myself going down. What will I do at this moment to practice delighting in God? It's, a, it's something the Holy Spirit will speak to you about because each one of us needs something different. Perhaps it's going to be, I'm going to get a verse of Scripture every day to meditate and I'm going to put that before me all through the day in some particular way. But it needs to be something that is what Holy Spirit is saying to you because what he will say to me, which will work for me, could be totally different for, for you and what will work for you. Because God actually wants you to receive the desires of your heart. He wants you to. So here are the keys that you practice drawing out. And as you go through it during the week, you'll find you'll have days where you think, I've just nailed this. And then the next day you think, no, I haven't. I've failed miserably. And that's part of drawing out the secrets of the kingdom of God as we gradually flourish from within. So take a moment to think about that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you and what is it that he said to you? If you're in the room with someone else, turn and share with them what stood out to you. And I say to them, how can I pray for you? Share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week. Or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.